Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friend, Tim Miller, and sitting in for my other best friend, Sarah Longwell, is Joe Perticone. Perticone. That's how we would pronounce Perticone. it up here in North Jersey. Perticone. Giuseppe Perticone. You're, you're not even giving me a half smile, are you there, Joe? <laughs> Yeah. Joe Perticone, who writes our press pass newsletter and covers the Congress in the Hill for us. I'm sorry, I thought that bit was going to work. It did not. Well, technically, the, the E is silent. It's Americanized. Right, but I'm saying in the old country. Oh, yeah. The gag. Right. You. That's the gag, <laughs> no. Joe. Okay. That's all right. That's well, maybe right. we should just reset this whole thing. Anyway, Joe Perticone, who writes a fantastic newsletter for us called Press Pass, is here. You should go to thebulwark.com and sign up and get his newsletter. It's free most of the time. Half the time. Great reporting, good scoops. It's awesome. Uh, go get Joe's newsletter at thebulwark.com. Get all the other stuff, too. Get Charlie's newsletter. Sign up for Charlie's podcast, Mona Charon's Beg to Differ. Mash the subscribe button. I know some people hate it when I say that, but do it anyway. And then give us a thumbs up and give us the five-star reviews. I have to say, I saw a review on iTunes this past week, which talked about how this was the person's favorite show, and they loved it, and it was great, and they gave us three stars. And it made me very angry. Ooh, I, I like that. A tough grader. A tough grader. Mm. I'm a tough grader on Goodreads. Um, I start now that I'm an author. I don't know if you knew that. I start. I've started to get embarrassed, and so I give sorry, people sorry, token five Tim. stars. Excuse me, Tim. Yeah, you are a New York Times bestselling author. So I give people token five stars because they'll see my they'll see my Goodreads account and know that I, I really only thought they were a three. So my, my I was a tough Goodreads grader up until recently. I, I have one more piece of homework for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really homework. This is more of like a gift. It's like a treat for the teacher, like when you get to go outside. And, I love presents. You know, it's a nice day and take class outside. Uh, if you're if you're just getting this on podcast, you might want to subscribe to the YouTube feed. This would be a good week for it. Joe Perticone, not hard on the eyes. We had Amanda last week. You know, we're going back to the uglies. Okay, next week, Sarah's back. JVL, me. So these, this is this I don't is think your you time. Can say that I can't yeah. say that. Okay, gentlemen, Joe, you have yet to say anything. Would you like to? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, no, I'm very uh, happy to be joining to hang out with you guys on this podcast. How would you rank the next level as far as the Bulwark podcast that you consume? Where, where would you put? Where would you put it's, this one? It's it's in the top five. Top five. <laughs> <laughs> I think we only have seven uh, <clears throat> across the movie aisle. Hardest hit. Okay. Uh, so let's start out with how awesome I am. You know, we sell a T-shirt in our store, Joe. I don't know if you've seen it before. I hope you have bought the merch. It says JVL is always right. I would like to just spike a football and take a victory lap because yesterday at 12.05, I published a newsletter, my newsletter, The Triad. You can get it, ding, 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 at thebulwark.com, in which I said, get yourself ready for Trump's defense about these tapes in which he is caught bragging about the classified documents, which he has, which he knows he's not supposed to have, which he knows aren't declassified, and which he knows he could have declassified but failed to do, right, is the, the ultimate smoking gun of all smoking guns. And I said, all you people out there hyperventilating about how this time Roscoe P. Coltrane finally caught the, those Duke boys are wrong because we've seen this movie before. This is the Access Hollywood tape. The Access Hollywood tape, we had the guy admitting to sexual assault, admitting that he knew the sexual assault was wrong. And then he just came out and he said, eh, that was all just locker room talk. And 10 hours later, literally 10 hours later, Trump is on a plane and with a reporter from Semaphore. And he says, yeah, on those tapes, that was just bravado. 
that wasn't really, I didn't like have, you know, I was just waving papers around. We're just talking, you know, this is how, how people at my level do it. Bravado. Tim, thoughts? It's your second Dukes of Hazard reference in as many weeks, which is, I, I don't know if that's hitting the target audience off. we're going for. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it was, I didn't even catch it the first time, and I had to do some Googling okay. after the last episode. Um, anyway, kudos to you for having that right. Though it, was, it wasn't the hardest degree of difficulty in the history, in the uh, annals of JVL is always right, because it was so predictable. The, the Trump thing that he always had going for him in this instance, w- with regards to the tapes, uh, is that he's a liar. And everyone knows he's a liar. He's a known liar. He's a known exaggerator. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And so you knew that eventually when backed into a corner, he would just be able to fall back on the fact that saying, oh, you know, it wasn't really true, right? And it's just like, you know, where he was on the Forbes richest people list, you know, and when the, when, you know, the tax man issue, you know, came down anytime that, you know, he actually had to pay the taxes, you know, he would just say, well, I was... I was exaggerating. I was puffing up the value of all those properties. like he is about the height of Trump Tower. Yeah. Right? Where he would lie about how tall the building was. About everything. His whole life. So in this case, was he lying? Were they really Iran war plans for Mark Milley? I mean, maybe not. I I, Probably. They probably were. But who – but honestly, this is like a – this is the most – of all the defenses that he has put forth – Right, the socks defense, <laughs> the presidential records defense, the I declassified them in my mind defense. Like of all of the ones he's put forth, the only one that might have a chance of actually holding up in front of a jury, unless there's a witness to say that no, I like I looked down and I saw Tehran, and I, I don't know what war plans look like. Are there like little missiles on the page? Like I saw going, the big Doo! red stamp on it that said yeah. "Top Secret." Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I saw where it exploded. Um, but you know, barring that. The I was exaggerating and I was really just waving around, you know, the Trump Tower Moscow, you know, architecture plans um, that never came into fruition. I, that, that is his most legitimate d- defense, I think. Um, and, you know, uh, legally, but it's also, it also politically reinforces, you know, why, well, the, the, you know, swing voters, you know, aren't really so keen on somebody that is a degenerate liar. Well, they're keen enough. He's like neck and neck with Biden in national, you know, uh, hypothetical general election polls. Joe, you know Congress. Do you know the people, though? Because what, do you have thoughts on whether or not the people are going to look at this and be like, I don't know, man, peace out. Or if they're going to just say, oh, yep, 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 sounds good. Got it. Yep. Just bravado. That's the way Trump is. <laughs> I mean, he's saying that, but like, you also have to consider that they have collected documents from him that they've gone and obtained. And so if this document is real and he's like obviously referring to it, a jury that's going to be heavily scrutinized and picked so that like hopefully there's not a bunch of Trumpers on the actual jury, then, you know, there Jury's could in South be... South Florida, Joe. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, but I mean like, like they're going to make a case that's very detailed. And so when he just says, oh, I was just bragging, well, they can be like, well, you're referencing a thing that we now have. That's really hard to explain away. And it really requires someone to be like in the camp of always believing him, which I don't think that most but people that's are. that's the legal perspective. Like, how about, uh, give me, give me the gen, the gen pop, the general populist perspective. 
are Republican voters just going to keep floating along with this? Because we've gotten a bunch of post-indictment polling now, and Trump bumped up a little bit more. And <laughs> I, really, I don't know, man. A really small mean? amount of people are going to be always Trumpers no matter what. And yes, but I think that like this makes him better for the primary, but it doesn't make him better for the general. Every single thing that's happened really since January 6th is worse for him than the independence that he lost in droves in 2020. There's a way it could reverse. It could be worse for Biden too, and that's where he wins. But, you know, I, I, I can't imagine people, people don't like to vote again for someone that they chose not to vote for the first time around. This isn't, you know, Europe. <laughs> so this is actually a nice pivot because I would like to talk about the race. And on Tuesday, my Kevin had a little whoopsie. So my Kevin Ooh, went on to oopsie doopsie. A little oopsie doopsie. You know, my Kevin also just likes to say things. And uh, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, was on CNBC. With a nice haircut. I don't know if you noticed that. High and tight. He was looking, I I, he was looking sharp on CNBC, I thought. The, the words weren't that great, but, you know. Well, like, you know, he's a Muppet. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, I can't get past the Muppet features. So uh, he said that, uh, sure, like, you know, Trump could be a strong candidate against Joe Biden in the general election. But, you know, he didn't know if Trump was the strongest. And MAGA world lost their ever-loving minds. The, the phone lines and the text chains lit up. It was about three hours, I think, before McCarthy sat down with Matthew Boyle of Breitbart to try to walk it back. More, more. Uh, more. Matt it was Boyle, longer than three hours? Yeah, we'll get there. Matt Boyle was busy. Um, I have some good uh, some good sourcing on this. Um, he was busy. He was reporting out that story on the racist Ron DeSantis supporter, which we can get to at the end, uh, my friend Pedro. So he, uh, uh, Matt Boyle kept Kevin waiting for like most of the day. <laughs> The Speaker of the House, who wanted to grovel the guy from Breitbart and get kept the Speaker of the House waiting <laughs> most of the day. so that before he was willing to help launder the Speaker's reputation in MAGA world. That's amazing. But here is here is what what McCarthy said as his his cleanup. He said Donald Trump is stronger now than he was in 2016, and I would like to posit to both of you, and you can react to this, that that is undeniably true. That the Donald Trump of 2023 right now can we going just into table 2024. That? Can we table you that? You want to table that? Just, okay. for, just for a second. And I, I, I just want to bathe a little bit more in Kevin's uh, defenestration, to use our friends at Puck's favorite word. Like w- what he had to deal, to deal with yesterday. All Kevin said on CNBC was, is he the strongest to win the election? I don't know the answer. He said, yeah, he can win the election. I don't know if he's the strongest of all our candidates. A very like anodyne comment about it's early. Yeah, you know, uh, he's the, he he's knew the what he was doing. Well, did he probably he? didn't know what he was doing. Did he? He I don't, he think, he, just I don't think he did. I'm, he's I'm, probably I'm, just I'm, talking. I'm, I'm, he's on CNBC early in the day. You know, had his coffee. Um, the, the the response to this, you know, here's here's Politico. The text um, people uh, advisors to Trump are calling McCarthy a moron on text to McCarthy. They're asking Brian Jack, who helped organize the coup and now works for McCarthy, to play mediator. McCarthy called Trump to apologize personally. He had to call and apologize to Mr. Trump, tell him that he'll give him the, the starburst just how he likes him. Um, then he got to then he got to boil. Despite all that, 
despite Kevin begging for forgiveness in private. Like a dog. Like a dog. I, now it hasn't, it hasn't helped. Okay, Trump is still so is now still so upset that he wants McCarthy to endorse him. He doesn't understand why McCarthy hasn't endorsed him yet, uh, given all the work Trump did to help McCarthy gain the speakership, which I, which I want to get Joe's take on. And and then you know McCarthy then in in addition to apologizing to Trump, then sent out some fundraising emails and texts to do more CYA, saying Trump is the strongest all caps strongest opponent to Biden. Feels like he's Maybe putting his thumb history. on the scale a little bit. I don't know how Tim Scott and all those guys feel about that. Um, and and then Trump, despite the fact that he did everything he wanted, Trump's still mad because he doesn't like Kevin McCarthy fundraising on his name. I mean, this guy was just totally bitched out by Donald Trump yesterday for the sin of being like, hey, he might be the strongest, he might not. Like that, that's all he did. And 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 the alpha nature of Trump, it just shows just you know the the uneven you know bars that we're on in this primary, right? Like now Kevin has now gone way overboard in puffing up Trump in a way that put his put his thumb on the scale in a way that hurts DeSantis, Scott, et cetera. And none of them. He doesn't have to call any of them to apologize, has he? Has Kevin called any of them to apologize, Joe? No, I mean I I love now though how like a gaffe now is just like saying a widely accepted, like <laughs> normal thing. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Um, but I, I don't know if I buy the whole Trump is still mad. I think that they, the Trump world love this. They love it when they can demonstrate that I own the speaker of the house. Cause all of the rank and file members, the ones who, have endorsed Trump, who haven't endorsed him, who are sitting on the fence and seeing Ken DeSantis get momentum, they all take notice when Kevin gets in line. And like everything about it was so perfect, like that he goes to Matt Boyle for the press release, you know, that he does all of this and begs and then- Grown up Ralph Wiggum is how I described Matt Boyle. (laughs) Grown up Ralph Wiggum. That's who they went to. And he screws it up further by- fundraising off of Trump's name, which is a big no-no. He was like, I have to do everything I can. And then he screws that up again. And so it's just, it's kind of funny, but it's also, it really demonstrates the power that Trump still has. So yes, he's way stronger than 2016. Will Kevin have to endorse, like, do you think he's going to have to come out and endorse Trump? Well, he then? has to endorse him at some point yeah. anyway. Right. I mean, there, there was never any question that Kevin would have had to endorse Trump. But he, from Trump's perspective, and I want to try this out for you guys, I actually think you don't want Kevin endorsing now. You want to hold that in your pocket for the next moment when you really need to change the conversation. There was a piece today out about uh, Trump's return to Twitter and that he's basically holding that off because that's another way to distract people. I feel like this guy probably has an entire desk drawer full of like, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, crazy things he can do to chum the waters and make people start talking about something else. And being able to push the button and make Mike Kevin endorse him is one of those, right? He gets indicted for a third time. Uh, and the an hour later, the Speaker of the House comes out and says, despite this, I endorse Donald Trump. Because, well, now the story is halfway about the Speaker of the House and Trump's hold of the Republican Party and only halfway about the indictment, right? I mean, this is why, why waste that bullet now? And Kevin endorsing him, too, could also come at some point during the primaries as a momentum boost. Because when Kevin gets on board, that will, again, signal to all of the rank and followers that it's time to ditch Ron and get on board. 
So the other thing about all this is that Trump is is waving around what here's speaking of bravado from the first topic, like waving around that like that he could end Kevin's speakership. That Kevin has to endorse him, right? Because he controls that many like is that even true? Yeah. If Trump wanted, he could probably if he told Republicans to force a vacate the chair vote, they'd have it done the first week they're back in session. I don't know if it would be enough to actually <laughs> remove him, but like if he if, like that's 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 a threat that he could totally follow through on and immediately dozens of Republicans would get on board. And so that's something he's got holding over his head too. I would say the other thing that's unremarked in this is the extent to which Trump gave McCarthy cover on the debt ceiling. Yes. I hadn't really thought about this actually until yeah. this morning. Like Trump did did you know, he could have gone all in and tried to kill that deal, right? Yeah. And, and he sort of but let he Kevin have the rope. Yeah. And uh and that was again, it's just more I think proof that Kevin owes him. Would you agree here? Or is owned by Joe now, or is owned by him, right? I'm not even sure what the difference is at this point. But let's let's go back to then. Trump is stronger now than he was in 2016. In 2016, which was Kevin's cleanup statement, his cleanup statement, which again, undeniably true, right? He said two true things. The first true thing is I'm not sure if he's the strongest candidate. Probably true. Second true thing, he's way stronger than he was in 2016. I think in 2016, most people expected Trump to lose by between 8 and 11 points. At this point in the race, you know, Trump was still way behind everybody, right? Right now, he's over 50%. And in general election matchups, he's typically within four points or as much as ahead by three points. So within striking distance, Trump is absolutely a coin flip to become president of the United States in a way which was Totally not true in June of 2015. Yes? I think it would depend on on what kind of situation you're looking at. Is he's, I think he's a lot stronger within the GOP than he was in 2016. There's no question about that. In terms of the electorate, no, I just don't think people were aware of how strong he was in 2016. He was really strong in 2016 because he was just this, you know— not Hillary Clinton loudmouth who everyone was like, I like the way he talks. And now he has so many years of baggage and it's not going to stop. And that doesn't matter in the Republican Party, but it matters with independence. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I guess Joe, uh, Joe is making an objective comment about, you know, the likelihood of winning the presidency and, you know, knowing everything. If we are, if we are omniscient beings, you know, knowing everything June 28th, 2015 versus June 28th of 2023, was he more likely to win then than now? Probably then we didn't realize it, but probably then I, I agree with Joe, but like strength in a political sense, you know, is, is a lot, a lot about perception, right? Not, not about, you know, prediction. And I think the perception is that he, you know, was back then that he had no chance to win. That was the widespread view. That was a wrong view, it turned out, but it was the widespread view. And I think that limited his strength. I think that had people, you know, had people had a, a, a crystal ball and been able to look into the future and knew he was going to win, he would have had a lot more endorsements in June of 2015 than he did, right? Um, now, you know, I, I think that there is a perception, rightly or wrongly, within the Republican Party that Biden's weak, that Biden is is beatable, that you don't know what's going to happen with, you know, Biden, his health. And and I think within the Republican Party, you don't know what's going to happen. The other shoe might drop on Hunter Biden. Who knows? Just could come in any day now. 
So I think that the, all of those reasons, you know, make Trump stronger. He has a stronger core base of support, you know, among not just voters, but among elites, you know, and he has more endorsements now than he would have had in, in 2015. And he's objective, as we all agree, he's objectively stronger within the party than he was than he was in 2015. So, I, yeah, I, I, I think that that is, I think that's pretty much right, what Kevin is saying. I, I don't, I'm not saying that means he's going to win this time, and he won in 2016, but I, I think that, like, as a political matter, he's stronger than he was in 2015. And part of this is that 2016 allowed Republicans to shift their mental model for power. Right. Because of going into 2016, they thought that to, to win the presidency, you had to win the most votes. Right. I mean, this is this is the way it's been, with the exception of like two or three times throughout all of American history. In 2016, that happens. They realized, hold on, hold on. This doesn't have to be a black swan. We can do this every time. We can lose by seven or eight or God knows, maybe even 10 million votes and still pull the inside straight to the presidency. And so it shifted their mental model for power towards minority rule as their actual strategy. Like this is this is how, you know, they don't think about how do we get to 50 plus one. That is absolutely not in the Republican calculus. And once you do that, it opens up an entire universe of possibilities for you strategically. And I don't know, I'm, I'm very interested, actually, I just listened to Bill Kristol's conversation with Doug Sosnick, which is really outstanding and everybody should go go listen to. And the extent so to which like you Clinton, have was a Clinton political person. Yeah, Clinton guy, incredibly smart. He's like my EF Hutton. When he talks, I listen. And when the Democrats are still, they conceptualize their coalition as we've got to get to majority status. We've got to get to 51, 52. We really would like to be at 53%. Um, we need to maximize our vote share. And the Republican view of the world is we don't give a shit about vote share. Like we, we, we are going, we need base turnout and we can win this thing with 46%. It's an incredibly interesting, dangerous, but interesting political dynamic to have in the country where the two parties have totally different approaches to vote getting and theories of how to maintain power nationally. Yeah. He also has his army, which again, he had in 2015, but there wasn't a perception that he could turn them on people. Right. Right. And I think this is another brand of political power, right? Like in 2015, there were some people that were worried about Trump running third party, you know, but a lot of people were like, yeah, like he might fizzle out. This might be a Herman Cain thing. You know, and, uh, everybody's fighting the last war, right? This might be a Michelle Bachman thing. He just is going to go to the top of the polls and then fizzle out. And everybody will get on board for, you know, vanilla old Mitt Romney, right? Everybody will get on board for Jeb or Marco, whoever ends up winning. People now realize that that is maybe not true. Right. And, and his raw vote total goes up from 2016 to 2020. Watch out. I'm sounding like Elise Stefanik. I do not think that that means that he actually won the, the election. Bellwether his, County. His Look raw at the Bellwether County. Look to the Bellwether counties. <laughs> maybe they're not Bellwethers anymore. Something to think about. I don't, that's one idea. One idea maybe is that there was a secret vote stealing. Another idea is that maybe the old Bellwether counties have changed. Um, read Charlie Sykes' morning newsletter if you didn't understand the jokes there about Elise Stefanik. But, you know, he has now that element which also, you know, I think gives him a political strength that, that he didn't carry into, into 2016. Can we talk about the state of the race? Because this is another piece of Trump power. The polling. Boy, howdy. Uh, if I was part of the Team DeSantis Stan brigade on Twitter, I would be having a flipping meltdown 
and starting to wonder about whether or not you have time to switch horses because the DeSantis numbers are brutal. We had a morning consult poll earlier this week, I think, which showed him down 10 points nationally in Iowa. Trump is at 44, DeSantis at 22, New Hampshire, Trump at 46, DeSantis at 15, South Carolina, Trump 52, DeSantis 20. Like, I don't know, man. Ron DeSantis did his big announcement. He had a the, the best rollout that he could kind of hope for in terms of exposure. Fox is still basically on his well, maybe side. Maybe not the best. Well, I mean, in terms of the number of hit, like, so yeah, the Twitter yeah. thing went bad, but everything after that was, you know, he got what he wanted. And, sure, sure. you know, so I, I did a crooked media podcast yesterday and we were looking at political ads and I said, look, I am sorry, but I do not believe that somebody with a voice like Ron DeSantis's voice can be elected president. <laughs> and I know this sounds terrible, but, uh, like Donald Trump has a good voice. Yeah. Um, Mitt Romney had a good voice. Uh, Barack Obama, amazing voice. Barack Obama, had he not gone into politics or the law, could have made an entire living in Hollywood as the guy doing trailers, right? Because he's, he's, his voice, the quality of his voice is so good. W had a good voice. W had a good voice, right? Well, it makes it interesting that he chose an audio-only format for his campaign launch. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I, that was one of the things that I went crazy <laughs> for. And and DeSantis's voice just sounds like the type of the type of person who, if they were sitting next to you on a bus, you'd want to punch. Is that wrong? I don't know how to, like, it just... It's totally, totally right. Another thing he does is he goes, and another thing, mid-stump, and he does it multiple times. He goes, oh, and one more thing. And it's like, why are you, like, yelling at me when I'm here to maybe, like, be your supporter? And whoever's advising him on his stumps is terrible, too, because he's... He's at the, I was at the Road to Majority conference, and this was like an evangelical conference, and he's talking about like ESG and like doing all the acronyms. And I'm like, these are church people, like with the exception of Ashley Babbitt's mom in the back. Like, these are church people. Like, they don't know what you're talking about. They don't care. Like, why are you bringing this up? And he's just like whining it to the crowd. And it was, you know, muted. Like, Josh Hawley rabbled the crowd way better than DeSantis did a couple hours prior. He's got the it's youth like, pastor thing going for him all oh, yeah. right now. Totally, like he's he totally leaning into that. Um, yeah. The, and he, and he, and you probably saw one of his better stumps actually. Cause didn't, uh, didn't they uh, give him a short, a time limit at the uh, conference? He, he went over. Oh, he went you over. Know, he, yeah. yeah. He went he over goes so long. Like the, he needs the teleprompter in the back expired and he kept going and he, he kept doing that. And another thing, yeah. he wasn't going to play by their woke rules. Yeah, no. he never backs <laughs> down, Tim. Yeah, he needs a tight five. Okay, he needs a tight five, and he's got five minutes of good stuff, and he should just just stick with that. But anyway, um, enough of the Ron DeSantis advice. I, I'm with the poll numbers. Here's here's the one. Can I just as somebody who's been through this a few times now, these early states, you know, people always say, oh, the national polls don't matter. The national polls don't matter. Look to the states. Well, national national polls kind of matter when you're up by forty. But um, yeah. the uh, the states, you just ran through all the numbers. Of Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, but let's just let's just pretend that DeSantis makes a comeback in Iowa. I, I do think that's very possible. It's a different animal. It's kind of hard to pull the caucus because the types of people that go are, are different, and a lot of them aren't aren't responding to the woke pollsters. But New Hampshire, right now, Trump at forty six, DeSantis at fifteen, Christie at seven. So 
New Hampshire has a uh, a percent of the electorate that is very bulwarky. Okay, that's very Tim Mallory. So I worked for John Huntsman in 2012. We got 16 percent, good enough for third. Kasich in 16, who was the John Huntsman of that race, he got 15 percent. And then Jeb, I forget what we got. We got maybe seven or eight or something. So throw that on top. So you're getting to maybe 23 percent. Some of those folks have left the party and aren't going to vote anymore in the Republican Party and are just too grossed out by everybody. So, you know, let's call it somewhere between 15 and 22 is very fertile ground for a Christie. And DeSantis is going to have a hard time with those voters, maybe a couple of them, especially with how far right he's gone on the cultural stuff. So if you got Trump at 46 and you've got Christie at, we'll, we'll give him the low end. We'll give him 15. You know, we'll give him the John Kasich number. That's 61. Now, I'm not a math major. But not a <laughs> lot of room. Left. Not a lot of room left. Um, and so, if you even if you win Iowa, if you go into New Hampshire and just get slaughtered by thirty points, which I he, twenty points, like which he's just staring down the barrel of. And I like, what is his path out of that? Like, like I, I just, it's very hard to see what his path out of it is. Besides Trump just really helping him out, and, and like something happening with Trump that collapses him, and, and that is why. You know, I, to, back to your point, JVL, about whether, like, like, the panic time is happening. And that's why all these candidates are in, and they're trying to figure out, is there somebody else that can bridge together all the disparate votes? And I just don't, I just don't know who that might be. I, I, I think that they're really, you know, and he's got this Christie problem in New Hampshire. I think he's got the same problem with Vivek in Iowa. I've got stuff coming down the pike here in July and August. I won't spoil, but I've been spending a lot of time listening to MAGA podcasts. Vivek is very popular. And there are a lot of Trump, you know, when, when, people, when Sarah, you know, talks about her focus groups, and I've always said the key voter in this primary, which I'm stealing from Sarah, is, is people that like Trump but might be ready to move on. You know, they were into DeSantis for a while, then they weren't sure, then they went back to Trump because, they, you know, they wanted to just stand by their man, but maybe they're gettable again. You know, that's the, that's the broad middle of the primary, not the always Trumpers, the like Trumpers, but maybe move on. Vivek is going to get a big boost from Trump-friendly conservative media folks who drive those people off of DeSantis into, you know, into someone else's lane. So I, like the math is just, the math is getting very hard. I, I don't want to, I'm not burying anybody. These things are very, you know, in flux, you know, stuff can happen. We haven't even had a debate yet. Maybe Trump won't go to a debate, but boy, those early state polls are, are much more alarming than the nationals. Joe, would you please explain to Tim why Rick Scott is the Newbridge candidate because <laughs> Rick Scott Boom. seems to be making noises like he wants to run. Hates commies. No, I, Rick Scott's been pretty adamant that he's running for Senate. I think that he's maybe doing the Glenn Youngkin thing where he's keeping it in his back pocket for end of the year. If there's like a real gap, then he can jump in or he's posturing to challenge McConnell. I don't really know what Rick Scott's doing. He reminds me a bit of like Rokana does this in the house where he kind of puts his hand in every little pie and then never actually does anything. Um, and so I don't really know what Rick Scott's up to. I don't think he's looking to jump in at all, but if he does, maybe it's. Hmm. Are you electrified year. by his charisma? Like when you're just walking down the hallway, can you the sense hairs on the back Rick's of your neck stand up? Yeah, can you sense Rick coming? <laughs> 
for a while away. Like, man, this guy has Scott will talk to any reporter for unlimited amounts of time. He loves talking. (laughs) Like, he won't run to the Senate subway. So he he loves media. He even talks to me. And so I think he would be very media-focused if he did jump in, but I don't know. Sometimes do you get nervous when you're talking to them? No, I don't get nervous talking to any of them, except John Tester. <laughs> but I don't know, just Rick, I, you just, being around somebody like Rick Scott, who just like exudes star power. Mm. <laughs> no. It's like being with Elvis. <laughs> well, jo- Joe is a stone face. Don't play <laughs> poker with Joe Perticone. Not who? This guy doesn't, doesn't fall for any jokes, Tim. It's not um, like having Sarah on this show. Joe makes us work for it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I, the Rick Scott thing is very... Uh, so I, I guess I will say, though, I think it's megalomania, right? I mean, I, I think that he does think that the party could turn their lonely eyes to him. No, Joe? You just think he likes the attention? He thinks this. Like, yeah. he's... Like, there's a handful of these in the Senate and some more in the House where... So it's kind of like a running joke that you can tell somebody believes that they can be president when you look at them, if they stand up and they button their jacket. When Rick Scott stands up, he buttons his jacket and he gets that look like, I'm going to be president. Even if they never even (laughs) jump in the race or never even try. A good example would be someone like Mark Walker, a former congressman from North Carolina. That man believed he was the living end and could be the next president if he wanted, but he'll never run. I think Rick Scott's of the same caliber where he he's led a very successful life where very few people have told him no, and so he thinks he can do anything. And that's the vibe he gives off. Will he jump in? I don't know. But if he, if he wanted to, oh, he'd win in his mind. What is the polling level at which the panic around DeSantis becomes real, real. Like right now, I think it's bubbling under the surface. But what number does he does he touch that makes people think, shit, we really got to go to plan B here? Is there a number? Are they so pot committed that they can't get off? I don't think it's a natural number. I think it's these early states. I, I, and and I, I will look at Vivek, which I, which, I, which I have to get right now. It's Vivek. Mm. It's Vivek, not Vivek, not Vivek, Vivek. V, just call him V, V for victory. VR, Ramaswamy. If Vivek passes him in Iowa, Christy passes him in New Hampshire, or Tim Scott passes him in South Carolina, like they start to mentorate their diapers down there in Tallahassee, I think. I mean, I I just think that is really the sign that like it's not working because that's where he's spending his time. You know, you can argue that the national numbers pop up and down or whatever, but um as long as he's a clear second in all of those, I, I feel like people think that they're stuck with him. And they might be right, by the way. I, I, yeah, I, Trump possible. might just have the nuts, like, uh, you know, unless something else happens. Because if you, the interesting, the other interesting poll number I saw this week was a head to head. I forget who did it. Uh, one of the pollsters did a head to head of DeSantis and Trump Scott. This is national now. I forget what the Trump number was, but DeSantis was at 33, Scott was at 23. So that shows that, like, there is still, there is a percentage of people that you need to be MAGA enough for them, right? Like, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, one of those, 
you know, games where you like put, put, you know, when you're whack-a-mole, you put one in on one end and it comes out the other end, right? Like it, the more that you appeal to the types of voters that would want a Christie or a Scott, the more then you're going to lose some of the, you know, like Trump, but maybe might be open to voting you for you people. And and if Scott, if Tim Scott is running 10% below DeSantis in a national head-to-head, then maybe there isn't anybody else, right? Like who else would it be? That's what I kind of believe is that DeSantis is the strongest probably the strongest candidate against Trump and also probably can't beat him. That is just, as, as you say, Trump, and this is Sarah, if you're listening, when someone says the nuts, this is, this is not boy talk. It's poker talk. Poker talk. It just means that they have a hand which can't be beat. They have the top hand. So I don't, I don't know, man. It's all not good. All right, Tim, you had wanted to give Joe some BP here. Yeah. I want to put Joe in the hot seat. You ready? Yep. I just have some burning questions about the Hill because I don't get to go to the Hill. You know, I, um, I'm here in my little studio I'm on Twitter. You're, you're out there with not the people, but the Capitol Hill people. And so you get some insights, you know, walking around that you don't get from Twitter.com. Okay. Uh, this is, these are going to be all over the map. Just, you know, go as long as short as you need. Number one, uh, what, what's your sense for that? There is this, um, there's this feeling that there is a lot of closet normals in the House Republican caucus, closet normals, that if if Donald Trump just disappeared off the face of the planet, that some of them might put on their normal capes again. What what percentage of the House caucus would you say falls into the closet normal category? Ten people. Okay. What's I, name? I, I, I would say I would say it's the the some of the national security focused chairman of the committees and like that. So hold on, hold on. Just, I want to define our terms here. So are, are there any public normals? Are you including the 10 with the public normals? So I guess I'd say Don Bacon, I guess, is a public normal, right? So yeah. that he doesn't count in the closet normals because he's publicly normal. Don't love everything that he says, but he's mostly normal publicly. Are there other public normals in the House caucus conference anymore? Uh, Valadeo, maybe, but some of these newer freshmen. Lawler. I think, the, I think the word is still out on whether they're normal. Lawler okay. was in charge of the gas stoves bill, um, which was okay. I, good for him politically to do like, oh, I'm standing up to Kathy Hochul. That still shows that it's kind of dumb. I think that, you know, like there, a lot of these freshmen, uh, Lori Chavez de Reamer in Oregon is kind of normal. It's just I, words kind of out still on a lot of these freshmen. But in terms of, you know, been around for a while, uh, yeah. new ha- new house, Valadeo, uh, the rest, most McHenry. of them. He's no. probably the most normal of the highest influence yeah. people. So let me put the question a different way. I, I think that there was a period of time, 2017, where a lot of the staff on the Hill, a lot of the Republican members, like actively didn't like Trump and shat on him all the time, off the record, right? And this is like a story as old as time. There have been books written about this. Jay Mart wrote the best one. But, you know, like I sense as an outsider, though, in your opinion, that's not true anymore, right? Like most of the people are pretty on board and like you're not getting a lot of whispers like, oh, hey, bulwark guy, I need to vent. Like, boy, these these guys are crazy. Like, they've lost their mind. Like, like a lot of those people have logged themselves off of the Hill work and yeah. are now in lobbying shops and whatnot. What's your take? I would agree with that. I would also say that, you know, if you were to do polling of just the staffers, it would probably look the exact same, but with 
DeSantis leading and Trump in DeSantis's position. Right. That's kind of what it would look like. Like a lot of Republican staff love DeSantis. They want DeSantis. You know, yeah, I see it on Twitter. There's like so much love for DeSantis, even though like he's not doing well. And then like there's the attacks on how dare they say this about DeSantis, that kind of vibe. And, you know, I would just say that like it's that's still in the same camp. Like there's nobody like nobody's nobody's a Christie fan on the Hill. If there is, I don't know who they are. Let me let me float a theory for why this would be four years ago, five years ago. A lot of elected Republicans and their staffs thought that the Trump thing was a mistake, that it was just this was an aberration. It just sort of happened. Once he's gone, we'll go back to normal. And now they've all realized that this shit is forever. And one of my favorite maxims is if there's no solution, then there's no problem. And there is no solution to the Trump thing. And so there's just no problem. Like, why why bother complaining about gravity? Right. Gravity just is there. Gravity doesn't care if you bitch about it. And so, you know, stop venting and just uh, this is the world you live in and you either make your peace with it or you leave. Right. And I think most of them have made their peace with it. Yeah. And a lot of these Republican members, like they're just very interested in doing their own thing and like racking up their wins. A good example is like someone like Chuck Fleischman from Tennessee. He is not particularly loony, but he's a Trumper and he's, you know, he's far right, but he's not crazy, but he's doing his job. And part of his job is being as MAGA as he can, but he's not in the category of like a Bobert, for example. This is an important insight that I think people don't get because the only people that not forget casuals, that even like political, like even people that listen to this podcast that are in the top 1% of political, you know, interest, you know, observers, they really only know the leadership, you know, the handful of people that go on the Sunday shows, the Don, you know, the kind of normal people, and then the Bobert MTG Gates, right, crowd. Like that's all they know. And so they're aware that there are a hundred other members out there, but you don't have like a mental graph of them. And I think that there's some people, particularly in the wish casting AEI world that think that anonymous 100, the Chuck Fleischmans are really just kind of like Paul Ryan, but they're just not saying oh, it. Yeah, they're just yeah. quiet, right? Like, you know, they're just, just quiet about down. it. Yeah. They're just keeping their head down. Real and that's not values. It. Yeah. The anonymous, you know, the anonymous meme person is Chuck Fleisch, right? It is fully MAGA. They would feel comfortable putting on the red hat. Maybe they don't do what Bobert does and do the performative shit, but like that's the center of the, caucus right now, right? Yeah. And and if you look at it like issue by issue, immigration, I yeah. would say most of them are pretty Trumpy outside of the drone strikes angle. Yeah. Um, but if you <laughs> look at now. like, if you look at support for Ukraine, any member of Congress named Mike is super supportive of Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, Mike Turner, Mike Rogers, Mike McCall, like all these relevant chairmen are very supportive of Ukraine, and they don't say it loudly, but that's telegraphed broadly to people in the know. And so as long as you don't step on Trump's toes, you're able to actually accomplish these things. And that's why there's always like a, you know, a big fuss over like Ukraine funding, but there really isn't because most people are like on board with it. And they just, I think, very delicately go forward with it. 
Right, right. So that's why, in defense of our AEI friends that are wishcasting, there still are enough folks left, right? Like there are a handful of those people in the chairmanship roles, right? Like they're cycling out mostly, right? Like the new people that are coming in are Trumpier than them. It's like a gradual effort, right? But there mm-hmm. are, I, you do forget about that. I, like I kind of sometimes forget that Mike Rogers is in Congress, even though he's the chairman. Like he only shows up to do the foreign policy stuff. Yeah, Tim, you know what I don't understand though? You know who's super pro-Ukraine at the House level? The the Democrats. So if what you really care is like the serious foreign policy stuff and you don't like the MAGA stuff, uh, why would you hang on to like, well, we've got the three mics. The three mics are still good on this We need the three mics because we need the three mics because if it was Matt Gaetz and – you know, Chip Roy and no, and I'm just right. I'm just saying that our AEI friends, when you yeah. you know look at this and the series issues, like oh, why not just be with the D's, right? The right D's I want to ask you about the D's though. I want to ask you about the D's. The the squad has been really quiet. I feel like what is what is going on with that? Like like Ayanna Presley, like almost has been acting kind of like. Abigail Spanberger lately. You don't hear as much from Cori Bush. Um, who's the other one from the West Coast? I can't even think of her name. That shows you how little uh, problem she's been. Jayapal, thank you. What's the deal with that? So that, that's what I was thinking in regard to what we were just talking about is that, you know, think about someone like AOC. She's not the bomb thrower that she was when she first got to Congress. She's getting along. And I think that the Democrats in the House are way more unified than the Republicans. Like their version of the squad or the progressive caucus is not as interested in disruption as the freedom caucus is. And so they- Why do you think that is? I don't think there's that big of a gap between the furthest left and the center of the Democrats. I think there are a lot more in the center. The blue dogs aren't as big anymore. There's now the new Dems, which is basically just the blue dogs. There are a lot of members who are members of the New Dems coalition who are also members of the Progressive Caucus. There's no members of the Problem Solvers who are also Freedom Caucus members, for example. And so I think that they understand that like their priorities, like you you see like Omar or AOC will dissent on like some foreign policy related things. Like that's where they're pretty divided. But the divisions aren't even anywhere near as stark as they are in the Republican conference. It's another thing Biden doesn't get enough credit for. I'm, I'm kind of tickling JVL's pickle here, but I like making them feel like they're being heard, that they're getting some stuff. It has worked. I, like whatever it is, I don't, I don't claim to have special insight under this while well, I wanted your take, but like whatever it is, it has worked because they're like, they're, they've chilled out a lot. It's almost like they act like a governing party. They understand like progressive wins, like, when Democrats make a deal, there's going to be progressive wins in there. When, like when Kevin McCarthy made the deal with Biden, there were a lot of conservative wins in there, but the goal of the Freedom Caucus isn't accomplishing conservative policy, it's attention and disruption. That's what it's always been. That is not the case for the far left, is they want to do far left things. They don't wanna just disrupt and own the floor, if that makes sense. And again, this is the difference between a party which is concerned with building a majority and a party which is pursuing power through minority rule. This is one more vector of how that dynamic plays out. All right, guys, uh, show I have a victory lap to do. Good show. I have a 30-second victory lap. Okay, go ahead. You've never heard of Pedro Gonzalez? That's good for you, if you people have never heard of him. He is a, uh, he's a MAGA, uh, he's right for American greatness, but he had a turn to the light-ish. He had a turn to, not maybe not the light, he had a turn to the dusk 
from the darkness, and he, he left Ameri- the American Greatness crowd, and he buddied up with the DeSantis camp. You remember that story that Daily Beast or Rolling Stone did? I forget who. Sorry for not crediting you correctly about how DeSantis was recruiting all of these MAGA influencers on Twitter for his very, very online yes. campaign. Pedro yes, was yes, one of those. Yes. And he's been an ardent DeSantis rapid responder on social media and being, being very rude to the Donald Trump people. And Pedro has been shocked that Donald Trump might lie, that Donald Trump might misrepresent himself. And he's been expressing that those shocked feelings a lot on social media. Um, and I made fun of him for this, you know, that, that he's, that, that, you know, the scales fell from his eyes a couple months ago and he, uh, proceeded to, you know, call me an androgynous femboy, you know, who has, who has weak physiognomy. How do you say that word? The word about how, that they say about the Jews have a certain fit, physiognomy. I'm not, I'm not. Don't, I'm don't not make in, me I'm say not, that word. I'm not in the KKK, I mean, so I don't know how to pronounce that word. Anyway, he tweeted about my physiognomy and, um, that was, he didn't like it. Uh, my chin, he didn't like. He sent a series of tweets. It's okay, whatever, you know. Um, that's fine. Uh, I, I, I wear their scorn with pride. And a uh, couple months later, interesting little uh, development. A friend, Matt Boyle, big day for Matt Boyle at Breitbart, um, had leaked to him from uh, some Trump fans some private text that Pedro had sent. And you'll be very shocked that Pedro it does not like Jews at all. And is very explicit about how much he doesn't like Jews as a people, not just specific Jews. He thinks as a group that they're bad. Is it their rootless cosmopolitan nature that bothers yeah, him? Yeah, something like that. Um, had very harsh words about, uh, about Ben Shapiro's Jewishness and Candace's Owens' as you know whatness. And these texts were were not were not really didn't seem joking. He says they're a joke. I, they weren't really fun. I didn't really understand what the joke was in a lot of cases. Were they just maybe bravado? they were just bravado. And um, and Breitbart, hilariously, you know, to understand the Kremlinology of what's happening on the right, Breitbart, in order to defend Trump and take out DeSantis, found their morals. Breitbart wants to cancel somebody. Breitbart is, you know, you've gone too far. You've crossed Breitbart's red line. A lot of things you can say, you know, you can talk, talk about sending black women back to Africa, even though they were born in America. That's fine with Breitbart, but you can't talk about Jews as long as you're a DeSantis supporter. So the banner headline on Breitbart yesterday was about this random DeSantis' influencers racist text. And so tough day for you, Pedro. I don't know how your physiognomy is looking, but has DeSantis thrown him over thrown him overboard? Has DeSantis no, thrown him overboard? Not, not that I've seen. I don't know. Joe, do you have any do you have anything to add? I'm interested in who emerges as the pro DeSantis outlet, like in this constant knifing back and forth between like influencers. Cause there's gonna be millions more of these. And who's gonna be the one to publish? leaked conversations or things of that nature of Trump supporters where it's like, I think this is the beginning of a very petty conservative media war. And I want to know who's going to be, who's going to be the opposite of Breitbart. I love it. I think it's great. I just think that they should all leak each other's texts. And, you know, I I think that I'm really looking forward to it. All the edge lords should should do everything they can to trash each other and reveal what they're saying in private. I think that's great stuff. If somebody leaks my texts, a lot of watch porn in it. A lot of that's what I would. A lot of errors. A lot of hot watch talk. A lot of me and buddies going back and forth about the new Omega Aquaterra and whether or not we like the blue dial mm, a design. Lot of, a lot of requests Ooh. from Shannon Ooh. on what to pick up at Home Depot. You know, <laughs> and Olive Garden if we have time. 
<laughs> All right, guys, good show, long show. Everybody hit the thumbs up, hit subscribe, please. Please leave us five stars when you talk about how great the show is. Uh, and go over to thebulwark.com and sign up for Joe Perticone's newsletter. You get it mostly free. And the stuff that isn't free is really good. You should pay for it. But Thank we won't you, make you do that right away. Everybody, we will see you on the Sunday show. This week we've already taped. We can say it's, it's sports. It's sports. But here's the, here's the thing. It's fun. It's, it's sports and it's politics. And if, even if you don't like sports ball, don't be scared off because it's very politics-y. And we get into Sarah definitely not. We get into to this one. Sarah's not. He, she should because we get into like why sports media has has divided into uh, into political tribes as well. We discuss the fall of our culture. We discuss you know being being millennial dads watching basketball. There's a lot. There's a lot. You'll enjoy it. It's good. Awesome. We will see you on Sunday, guys. Bye. Peace. <laughs>